All right, well, this is the mouth, lesson number two, and this one is entitled The Sins of the Mouth. This is very critical because a bulk of what we sin with is our mouth. You could be a perfectly innocent or a perfectly non-threatening invalid or quadriplegic, unfortunately, in a wheelchair, steering your life around with your chin or your teeth, and yet you could still sin against God with your mouth. You could still destroy people with your mouth. As long as there's breath in your lungs, you can hurt people with your mouth. And so I've written this curriculum because I wanted to go through and look at all the different sins the Bible describes that we can do with our mouth. And to be honest with you, on a bad day, every one of us does every one of these. On a good day, every one of us does some of these. On a perfect day, every one of us does one or two of these. And so all I can say is, Lord, help us, have mercy on us, and may we put a guard over our mouth. So let's begin with Psalm 59, verse 12. The Lord said through the psalmist, for the sin of their mouth, notice right off the bat, the Lord talks about the sin of their mouth and the words of their lips, let them even be taken in their pride and for cursing and lying which they speak. There's a lot of sin wrapped up in that verse and it's all having to deal with somebody's mouth. Sin of the mouth, words of their lips, pride, cursing, lying which they speak. The Bible says because of this, they'll be taken, taken out, taken away, taken into judgment. We want to make sure that that's, this is not our life. It's, we're not defined by this. This lesson is going to look at the many ways we can sin against God and mankind with our mouths. We want to be careful and we watch what we say. Even recently in one of our corporate prayer services, the Lord began to deal with us that whole corporate prayer service about our mouth and about guile, about misleading folks and being a man or woman of our word, let our yes be yes and our no, no. And I, I believe with all of my heart, the Lord's wanting to promote us and to set us up for some great things. He's got some things he's wanting to do in our life, but he has to have the agreement of our mouth and he has to have the holiness of our mouth in order to get it done. So it's just fitting that this lesson falls right in line with what the Lord's been saying to us as a local church through one of our corporate prayer services. Look at Luke 6:45 here. A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth that which is good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. This lets us know that the guile that comes out of our mouth originated in our heart. And the gossip that comes out of our mouth originated in our heart. The slander that comes out of our mouth, it originates in our heart. The cursing or the filthy communication that comes out of our mouth, it originates in our heart. Anything, the, the misleading, the corrupt communication, the filthy jesting, the coarse jesting, this all originates out of our mouth, excuse me, out of our heart, and it, it, it exits out of our mouth. And so the Lord says, out of the abundance of the heart, mouths speak. And so if we're going to change what we're saying with our mouth, we've got to first begin to examine our heart and understand why it is we maybe overcommit ourselves and become a liar when we don't fulfill our commitment. Why it is we always feel necessary to beguile and mislead and not tell the full story or the whole story. We joke about even in the court of law, the judge says, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? Notice three levels of truth there, even in the American court system. The truth, the whole truth. So the truth is, yeah, I'm telling the truth. No, 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 the whole truth, even the part that makes you look bad. Nothing but the truth, just pure truth. So help you God. You're going to need God's help. Even the court system recognizes that. You put your hand on the Bible, raise your right hand, and say, I do. I so solemnly swear. God wants us to have a pure mouth 
because our mouth is how we advertise who and what we are. Our mouth is how we propagate, communicate. It's how we go about telling folks about Jesus and setting our life on fire or setting them on fire for God. So we really got to, in this lesson, we've really got to examine our hearts to see why are we guilty of one of these sins? Why do we lie if we're a liar? Or uh, as some of our other sins, why do we beguile? Why do we gossip? Why do we slander? Why do we curse? Why do we backbite? Why is, why is there filthy communication or corrupt communication or coarse jesting? Why does this stuff come out of our mouth on a regular basis? Every heart contains treasures, and our mouths will reflect these treasures, good or evil. And so one of the things we have to work on when somebody gets born again is the treasures of their heart. There's always these funny testimonies you hear about somebody first gets saved and the Spirit of God comes upon them and they go, glory to God, blankety, blank, 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 I'm so glad I'm saved. They start cussing in rejoicing before God because that's the only way their heart's been trained to communicate. And we just got to clean that up, church. Look at James 3, 2 in IV. We all stumble in many ways. This, this will become one of our theme verses over the course of these lessons. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. And so we endeavor to be perfect or mature, not flawless, but mature. And so uh, we want to make sure that we're able to keep our mouth in check with what we say. Bite your lip if you have to. Bite your tongue qualify things before you say it, or if you say something you shouldn't have, come back very quickly and repent of them. And that way you can keep a pure testimony. And even if you do make a mistake with your mouth, you're always seeking an apology. I had to repent this morning. I, uh, I committed to uh, Mr. Allen that I'd be there this morning to work out, and I totally overslept. I got up at 6, and I said, I need to get up. And next thing I do, I wake up at 7.30, totally missed my workout. I had to text him, said, sorry I missed you or I overslept, so sorry. And I let my word slip. But you have to repent and clean up and go on. It won't be the last time it happens, but as long as you can clean up that mess and make it important to your heart, you will improve the integrity of your words. Jesus taught that there are, every, excuse me, there are evil treasures hidden in the heart of men. When these treasures make it to the surface, they come out of our mouths. That could be good or evil treasures. James encourages us by stating that we are always going to be dealing with our mouths. Till the day we die, we're going to be dealing with the words of our mouth. We will always have to deal with our mouths because we will always have to deal with our hearts. So that should make sense. You can sit there and bite your lip and never say anything, but that doesn't mean you've purified your heart. And if we squeeze you hard enough or if life squeezes you hard enough, you will eventually squeeze out what you were saying in your heart anyway. Your mouth is nothing but the manifestation of what you're saying in your heart. And if you hate somebody bad enough in your heart, it will eventually come out of your mouth. It'll leak out somewhere in an attitude or in a text or a tweet or a Facebook post. In fact, Proverbs, I think it's chapter 24, says, lying lips dissemble it with their mouth or, or hatred laid up in a heart will dissemble it with their mouth. To dissemble means to disguise. When you hate somebody, you'll disguise it with your mouth to act like you don't because you know you're not right. We'll always have to deal with our mouths because we're going to always have to deal with our hearts. The heart and the mouth are spiritually connected. You can't, you can't separate the two, uh, not until you go home to heaven. And even then, we know God is a spirit, but he has a mouth and a two-edged sword comes out of it. But we have to, we have to recognize that our mouth and our heart is spiritually connected. With the heart, man's, man believes unto 
righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made unto salvation. There in Romans 10, you see the spiritual connection between your mouth and your heart. If you're a big mouth, and some people are, you got to wonder, what's going on in your heart that causes you to be a big mouth? If you're boastful, what causes, what's going on in your heart that causes you to be so boastful? If you're always singing your praises or, or in pride, what's in your heart that always causes you to be prideful? If you can't hold your peace and your mouth has to run 24-7, what's in your heart always causing you to have to talk? Or if you've always got to give somebody your opinion, what's going on in your heart that makes you want to be this way? Something's got to be tweaked internally. It's not so much just shutting up because then you'll just compress like a crock pot or steam, uh, uh, what do they call it, a pressure cooker, and you'll eventually vent and it will come out of your mouth. <laughs> if we can learn what mouth sin, and what, that's a term we're going to use in this lesson, if we can learn what mouth sin looks like, we can be successful in diagnosing our own heart's sinful issues and work towards addressing those issues before they manifest outwardly. Let me read that again. If we can learn what our mouth, what our personal mouth sin looks like, or sounds like, we can be successful in diagnosing our own heart sins or our own heart sinful issues and work towards addressing those issues before they manifest outwardly. Just like a runny nose and a cough is systematic or symptomatic of a cold or the flu, you can watch people's mouths and see what's symptomatic of their heart. I've shared this story many times before. One of my dear pastor friends is Pastor G down in Sparta. Sparta is a little bit different than where we live here. And uh, Pastor G is a country boy. And he was telling me, when the first day I met him, we were in a prayer meeting, and he was telling me about going out to Bible school and joking about being a country boy, a farm boy in a big city at a Bible school. And he said, uh, he said one good thing about this accent of mine, because he has a very strong Middle Tennessee accent, he said, one good thing about this accent of mine, he said, I get to talk and people come a-running. And so he was talking about it. It's, it's a, it's a, draws a crowd. Everybody wants to hear, who is this guy with this voice, with this accent? And so when he said it draws a crowd, the first thing out of my mouth was, and I said, and they come around and saying, who is this hick? And I, I meant it jokingly because he laughed at it. But at the very same time, the spirit of the Lord spoke to me and rebuked me. And he struck me down in my heart. And he said, why did you use the word hick? And there's no defense, there's no justification, because when the Lord asks the question, he doesn't ask the question for his benefit, he asks the question for your benefit. And I instantly knew the answer, and I didn't even try to defend myself. I, and I, inside my heart, I said, yes, Lord. I use the word hick because I am biased and bigoted against uh, Southerners. I am biased and big. I hate Southern accents, at least I did then. I had a bit of a bigotry in me against Middle Tennessee and the poverty or the just, just some of the culture that's here. And oddly enough, the Lord would call me here to get over it. And so for me to say, who is this hick, that was symptomatic. It was a symptom of a bigotry that rested in my heart. So I would always take a hard stance or a bigoted approach towards not all Southerners, just the ones I was called to minister to, sadly enough. So if we can learn to recognize sin when it comes out of our mouth, we can begin to recognize that I got heart issues. And now what's even more deceptive is that not everything comes out of our mouth is sin. And even James bemoans that in James, the, the, the epistle of James. He says, my brethren, how can bitter water and sweet water flow out of the same fountain? How can that be? Talking about our mouth. 
And so what's so funny is in one conversation, in one sentence, we can be edifying this person and in the next sentence, putting this person down. And in, and in that sentence, this one that edifies, we have a reward in heaven. And with this sentence over here to this person, one breath later, we have judgment in heaven. And it all came out of the same mouth in the same two-minute space of time. That's why we've got to learn to put a guard over our mouth and a filter and be watching the words of our mouth. Jeremiah, the Lord said in Jeremiah, he said, I diligently watch after my words. I hasten them to perform them. I put a diligent watch over our words. We have to do that. Uh, The more talkative or loquacious you are, the more you've got to watch your words to make sure the motives are pure. If we can use this kind of mental image, and then I need to go on here for time's sake. Every word you speak is a, is a little package, and you've got to be willing to open the package and say, what was the motive I packaged in those words? Was that a selfish motive? Was that a selfless motive? Was I speaking that to package it full of edification, exhortation, comfort, communication, gospel preaching? Or was that word released in the package? If I were to open the package, it contains guile and selfish control and me getting what I want. We have to be willing to judge ourselves because that will help us purify our heart. It's not what we say most of the time. It's why we're saying it. It's the motive behind it. Amen. So our first mouth sin we're going to look at is lying. Lord, help us. We are all guilty of this. This mouth sin is so powerful, it is forbidden in the Ten Commandments. I mean, can you imagine? Ten Commandments upon which the whole United States legal system is based contains thou shalt not bear false witness. You you don't lie against your neighbor. Lying is a signature characteristic of Satan and his demons. And when you and I practice it, we're all guilty of it. I, I think all of us probably lie a little bit on a daily basis, but not intentionally. We say something that's not fully true, but we believe it is. And when we find out, oh, I was totally wrong, I, I gave you those, those numbers were wrong, or I stated this and, and it wasn't actual, uh, let, me get, ma- let me make it right. So I don't mean that. I'm talking about purposely lying or lying against somebody or lying about somebody or lying to somebody. This is si- a signature characteristic of Satan and his demons. And if we'll realize that, that we're acting a little satanic when we purposely lie, we'll repent pretty quickly. Second Chronicles 18.21 says, and he said, this demon... I will go out and I will be a lying spirit in the mouth of all of his prophets. That's Ahab's prophets. And the Lord said, thou shalt entice and deceive him and thou shalt also prevail. Go out and do even so. Notice there is such thing as a lying spirit. Now, Dr. Barclay has tremendous revelation about the lying spirit. There's all sorts of demons out there. And one of the things he said about it, and I've, I, at first when he said it, I questioned it because I had never heard it taught, but then I got around people with lying spirits on their life, and I, and I understood what he said, what he meant. A lying spirit doesn't just cause the liar to lie all the time, but a lying spirit also works in a way so that the listener believes the lie. So if you're operating in a lying spirit, you're not just a liar, but you're also able to make people believe these lies. We would also call it a con man. People who are con men operate in the lying spirit. They're able to con Eskimos out of their igloo and then turn around and sell them an ice maker. That's a lying spirit. 
John 8, 44, see, the Lord said of the devil, when he speaketh a lie, he speaks of his own, for he is a liar and the father of it. Psalm 119, 29 says, remove from me the way of lying and grant me thy law graciously. Notice that embracing the law of God will help you stop lying. We're, we all are tempted to lie for self-preservation. But Jesus said, if you seek to save your life, that's self-preservation, you'll lose it. But if you'll lose your life, which usually means telling the full truth, you'll save your life. Proverbs 19.22 says, The desire of a man is his kindness, and a poor man is better than a liar. So it's better to be poor than to be a liar. It's better to have no money and integrity than to be rich and to be known as a liar. Proverbs 17.4, A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips. A wicked doer giveth heed to false lips. Notice that when you're dirty, you tend to fall into lies. But a liar giveth ear to a naughty tongue. A liar gives ear to a naughty tongue. When you are a liar and you operate in lies, you tend to fellowship with naughty tongues, with lying people, slanderous people. We'd say it this way, birds of a feather flock together. We ought to really want to keep our mouth clean because it seems to act as a repellent to dirty people. People who want to purposely live dirty, they don't want to run with people of a pure mouth and pure lips. Not at all. And lying people tend to run together, and then they're offended when they betray each other. Well, you shouldn't be shocked. You're dirty. Dirty people can't help but be dirty towards each other. That's what makes them dirty. You know, fornicators will always betray each other because they're dirty. <laughs> Fornication is dirty. It makes you dirty spiritually. Typically, fornicators are liars, too, because they're always lying about what they're doing. Proverbs 12, 22 says, lying lips are abomination to the Lord, but they that deal truly are his delight. We want to make sure we have the testimony that we deal truly with our words, even if it hurts us, even if it gets us in trouble, even if it causes somebody to be angry at us for a season, we would rather deal truly than be a liar. And sometimes we're going to have to pray for wisdom to know how to deal truly with information we have or the facts, not out of a self-preservation mode, but to make sure we deliver it in the best way possible. We really ought to be praying for words to speak wisely. I remember now, probably about 15 years ago when I was serving Pastor Darren, my mouth was always getting me in trouble a lot. And I was praying constantly, it was daily, a daily heart's cry, a daily prayer. And I'd say, Lord, help my mouth. Lord, help me to speak accurately. Lord, help me to not be so crass or to be so rude or so belligerent or just, um, just carefree or cavalier with my words. And I remembered Pastor Darren laid hands on me in a Sunday night service and he touched me and he prophesied over me. And one of the things he said is he says, and you're, you are beginning to learn how to accurately communicate those things the Lord puts in your heart. And when he said that, I fell out and when I hit the ground, the Lord spoke to me and he said, words are like money. And when he spoke that to me, I instantly saw what I ended up spending about three or four years studying, which was the, the importance of our words, how to value or devalue our words by breaking our commitments or keeping our commitments. And it began a very intense season of my life where I would literally break my neck to keep a word I'd given to somebody. I remember... Um, a buddy of mine suckered me into going to a ballroom dance class, and it was all about, he got free lessons. The more people he brought, 
to take a free lesson. He got free lessons, and he was really into all this ballroom dance stuff. So I went, and they did their marketing thing, and I was not in a position where I wanted to take ballroom dancing, but I promised uh, the lady there that you take the lesson with, it's a big school, um, I promised her I would be back before the fall was over to take these lessons. And I didn't really mean it, and I didn't really want to do it, but I really just wanted to get her away from me, and I, didn't want to, I just, just didn't want to take ballroom dancing. But the Lord haunted me, and he told me, you gave your word. You gave your word. And as God would have it, I showed up literally on the calendar the last day of fall, and I ended up dropping, I think, 450 bucks to take about 15 ballroom dance class lessons. Maybe not 15, maybe 10. But I dropped 450 bucks just to keep my word because that's how strongly the Lord was dealing with me about not being a liar, not putting my word out there and not bringing it to pass. And uh, it really caused me to grow spiritually very quickly. It caused me to be promoted in some things and it caused me to receive a lot of stuff I was believing the Lord for just because I was diligently watching after my word to make sure I was performing it. Amen. Let's go on to guile. Guile is more subtle than outright lying. Guile can be defined as sharing only the truths that favor you. We're all guilty of this. This is called self-promotion and self-preservation. The Greek word for guile, dolos, refers to a decoy. <laughs> Lord, help us to not use decoys about what really happened. Decoys are convincing but deceptive. Decoys can be passed off as authentic to the untrained individual, and so can guile. Quick story about decoy as I think about it. My father-in-law, who's in heaven now, he was an avid hunter, and he was telling me a story one time about going turkey hunting. And, uh, you know, if you turkey hunt, you got your shotgun, and you're camoed up, and you call a turkey, and you hear it call back. You got your turkey call. So he said he was... He was crawling all over the hillside of Indiana there, and he was calling this big old turkey, this big old gobbler, and it would answer back. So he'd crawl, and he, he went on for like an hour, it seems like, and he's crawling looking for this huge turkey that he can hear call back. And he said he came over the berm of a railroad track embankment, and there was this gobbler, big old turkey. He said he was so excited because he'd crawled so long to, to, to hear this turkey, and it was responding back. So he said he got his shotgun out, Leaned over that embankment real slow because turkeys have very keen vision. And he said, I put down on that, that uh, turkey. He said, I shot that thing and blew up another hunter's decoy. He said, he laughed about it. He said, I said, Butch, what'd you do? He said, I quickly crawled back because I knew that was a very expensive decoy. I had just blown to pieces. So what had happened is he was calling and this other hunter heard him and called back thinking he was calling in a big gobbler. And so it was so convincing, he actually hunted a decoy that day. That's what guile is. It, it convinces people that we're something we're not, and that's wicked. It's false advertisement. You can be sued for that if you market that way in the uh, secular realm. Psalm thirty-four, thirteen: keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. It's a commandment. Keep your tongue from evil and your lips from speaking guile. Notice the Bible considers guile to be evil. 1 Peter 2, 1. Therefore lay aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings. Notice here Peter puts all this together. Malice, guile, hypocrisies, envies, evil speaking. Envies there probably in the Greek is going to be zelos or jealousy. And zelos is the Greek word for jealousy. Notice that evil speakings, jealousies, hypocrisies, malice, it's all lumped together in there with guile. Putting forth the truth that makes you look good. The reason we do it is we're insecure. 
The reason we guile people or beguile people is because we're fearful and insecure. A confident person, even though they're wrong, will say, I'm wrong. I did it this way. I'm totally wrong. Please forgive me. Have mercy on me. Discipline me as you see fit. But I'd rather be truthful and honest than, than uh, safe and wrong. I'd rather be truthful and disciplined than safe and a liar. 1 Peter 3.10, For he that will love life and see good days, let him refrain his tongue from evil and let his lips speak no guile. His lips that they speak no guile. Notice that this verse tells us, this is quoting Psalm 34, that if you want to see length of days in a good life, stop lying, stop beguiling. Refrain your tongue from evil. This indicates to us that our mouth controls the quality of life we live and the length of life we live. There's a whole lot we can say about gossip, but we have many more to cover. So let's look at uh, gossip now. Gossip simply means to repeat a matter. Gossip is when a fact is repeated, but with the wrong motive and heart. For this reason, it is often difficult to convince a gossiper of their need to repent. Their argument will always be, I'm not lying. It really happened. Yeah, but what happened is probably not your business to retell. Proverbs, we might even cover it here. I say, Proverbs conceals, the Bible says love conceals a matter, but a lying tongue repeats it or a talebearer repeats a matter. Leviticus 19.16, thou shalt not go up and down as a talebearer among the people. That means you won't wander to and forth uh, broadcasting everybody's story. Uh, this is a busybody. This is a know-it-all. This is a nosy-rosy. My wife calls them nosy-rosies. The Bible says thou shalt not. That's the same verbiage as the Ten Commandments. Thou shalt not go up and down among your people as a gossip. Neither shall you stand against the blood of your neighbor. I am the Lord. Notice that gossip and standing against the blood of your neighbor, standing against their life, is equal in the eyes of God. So we all hear truth, but it doesn't mean we're qualified or have the right heart to repeat it. Uh, we as a church, I... I, I struggle, one of my greatest struggles with wisdom is how to handle the dirt that goes on in our church, deal with it in private, and then when it starts to leak out, how do I clean that mess up? What needs to be dealt with publicly? What can be dealt with privately? Not that we ever want to hide anything, but some things don't need to be discussed publicly if we can deal with it in private. That's one of the greatest struggles I deal with as a pastor, trying to protect people that have messed their lives up and are truly sorry. If you're not truly sorry, I don't mind to discuss it publicly because you're non-repentant. But if you are truly sorry, I need wisdom to be able to clean that thing up and conceal the matter and yet deal with it with the authority of God's word. Proverbs 26.20 in the NIV says, Where without wood a fire goes out, without gossip a quarrel dies down. So gossip stirs up quarrels. Some people are addicted to quarrel and strife. Some people are addicted to ruining people's lives. I would just have you know that if you are an addictive, if you're addicted to gossip, you're a gossip addict, your life will be burned because you will reap what you sow. And I think all of us know people who are professional gossipers and they are the most reprobate people. Their life has no fruit for God. They are more an agent of Satan than they are a disciple of Jesus Christ. What we ought to do is when we hear a matter, let our ears be black holes that absorb it and our mouth be a source of prayer that prays for the gossiper and also the gossip we heard. And if need be, we take it to leadership or somebody in authority that can fix it. I like to say, if you have to gossip, gossip up the food chain. Gossip up the chain of command to somebody who has the authority to do something about it. Otherwise, you're just a tattletale and a tattler and a gossip. Gossip is strife fuel. Proverbs 26, 22 in the New Living Translation Rumors are dainty morsels 
that sink deep into one's heart. So notice rumors, they, they can sink deep into your heart and affect how you view people. That's why the devil, the devil loves gossip so much. Gossip will sink into your heart and poison you against people. Don't listen to gossip and certainly don't spread it. 1 Timothy 5.13, New King James. And besides, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house. And not only idle, but also gossips and busybodies, saying things which they ought not. Idleness, this, this lets us know. It says they learn. They learn. Idleness and gossip are learned traits. We must unlearn them. And besides this, they learn to be idle, wandering about from house to house, and not only idle, but also gossips. If you're idle, you learn to be idle. If you're a gossip, you learn to be a gossip, so you can unlearn it too. There's no office in the church called the office of the gossiper. We don't want that office in the church. We don't want that position. We try to run that out. Slander. Let's move on to slander now. Slander is defined as a falsehood spread to ruin one's reputation. The Hebrew indicates a whispering defamation spread stealthily. Think about that. Slander in the Hebrew indicates a whispering defamation that is spread stealthily. Today, slander is hardly ever done privately, not with the Facebook and the Twitter. <laughs> uh, slander is different from gossip in that slander is totally false, while gossip is a true fact. Slander is totally made up. Totally just make it up just to try to ruin somebody's character. It's a demonic manifestation. If you get around somebody slandering, you have to know they are fellowshipping with demons. And I'm not saying they have a demon. I'm just telling you they're listening to one and repeating what that demon has said. Numbers 13, 32, and they brought up an evil report, which in the Hebrew means a slander, an evil report of the land which they had searched into the children of Israel. Slander isn't limited to people. Israel slandered the promised land and their slander caused them to die in the wilderness. If you and I slander the promises of God, the Bible, New Testament calls it blasphemy of the Holy Spirit bringing up an evil report against what God is doing. We have to be careful. We don't slander churches. We don't slander moves of God unless we know for a fact it's not a move of God. We have to be careful. We don't bring up an evil report against anything. The Bible calls it evil. We are Christians. We're children of righteousness and holiness. Nothing about our life should be defined as evil. We're all going to have evil coming out of us as we cleanse our life and purify it, but we should not live and abide in evil talk, evil speak, evil anything. Psalm uh, 31, 13, For I have heard the slander of many. Fear was on every side. While they took counsel together against me, they devised to take away my life. Jeremiah 20, verse 10a, For I heard the defaming slander of many. Fear on every side. Notice that one of the byproducts of slander is fear. Slander produces fear in people. That's how we know it's not of God. I've been slandered many, many times as a pastor. I probably didn't start getting slandered until I became a pastor. Ah, that may not be true. Uh, but I've been pastor since the technology explosion and the social media explosion. So when people come to our church and they get bent out of shape because their sin gets exposed... All the putrefied people can do is puke up their putrefication, and that comes out as slander. One of the things it really wants to do is put a fear in people, and we've not been given the spirit of fear. So what is this spirit of if it's putting fear on people? It's got to be the spirit of the world or the spirit of the devil one. 
We are commanded to bring forth edification, exhortation, and comfort. We're commanded to conceal a matter, not slander and reveal it. The venomous lies of the enemy carry with them a very powerful paralyzing effect. Do not loan your mouth to demons. Do not repeat slander. Take it up the food chain. One of the most destructive and demonically plotted things you could do is take slander to somebody under you in Christ, somebody younger than you in Christ, somebody more immature than you in Christ. Because that's like me getting bit by a rattlesnake and I suck the venom out and then I go bite my little girls and inject them with it. Would you ever do that? Heavens no. But it's amazing how many Christians will hear slander and then repeat it to an immature Christian, a Christian more immature than them. If you're repeating slander, you are immature in that area. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. But then to go and take that poison and to share it with somebody younger than you in Christ is very evil. And you've just been used by Satan. You should repent and make it right as best you know how and say, Lord, have mercy on me for spreading venom that was killing me. Do not loan your mouths to demons. And then in our curriculum, we have several more scriptures you can study out. Cursing. I'm a big stickler on this because we're Southerners and we believe, we, we understand cussing and swearing. And uh, that our, our doctrine on cussing and swearing is not very biblical, though the heart of it is. The cursing of the Bible is not the same as American cursing or cussing and swearing. Uh, The cursing of the Bible refers to the declaration of words meant to bring about judgment or evil upon a person. It is often tied to the practice of swearing or binding oneself to an oath, i.e. to swear or vow upon penalty of a curse. And there's too much to cover there to look at, but uh, the Bible says thou shalt not swear. Well, that doesn't mean thou shalt not say dirty words, but that is also biblical. Don't say dirty words. But when the Bible says thou shalt not swear, what he's saying is, uh, the Bible is saying, don't bind yourself to an oath uh, because what does the New Testament tell us? Let your yes be yes. Let your no be no. If you have to bind yourself to an oath or a vow, it's because your word means nothing. So cursing, James 3.10 says, out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Let me add this. There is a time when biblically you have to curse something. You curse the fig tree. You curse sickness and disease. You curse the attack of the enemy. But we ought not be cursing one another. Uh, The Bible says we pray for those that despitefully use us and persecute us. There is a time when you pray against their maneuvers and their activities, uh, but we want to pray that God gets a hold of them. When God gets a hold of somebody, it's up to God what he wants to do with them. Whether he gets them born again like the Apostle Paul, who was a great persecutor of the church, or whether he kills King Herod, like in the book of Acts Uh, What is that? Chapter 19, I believe. No, it's not. It's before that. So we want to be careful with cursing. Again, that's not filthy communication of the mouth, though. That is what we're going to cover here in a moment. Backbiting is is a mouth sin. Backbiting is malicious talk about someone not present. Uh, to bite them in the back when they're, they're not looking. Malicious talk about someone not present. It is secret slander. Proverbs twenty five twenty three says, The north wind driveth away the rain, so doth an angry countenance, a backbiting tongue. If you, if you get angry at someone, you can drive them away and they'll start talking bad about you. Don't ever be involved in a conversation where somebody's being chewed upon. If you're going to chew me out, chew me out to my face. Don't chew my rump out. (laughs) Don't chew my backside out. Have a backbone. 
bring it to me. And, and if you're going to backbite somebody, take it to them. At least take it to them and say, I want you to know I have a beef with you. That's a sign of maturity. Immature people like to chew on fellow Christians in private. It's like a dog on a rawhide bone or something. It's very immature. Don't ever be involved in those kind of conversations. It won't go well for you. We're talking about mouth sins, and we're all guilty of all of these, so we're not beating anybody up. We're correcting all of us so that we can be better Christians. All of this works together so that our words will have more power when we pray, so that our words will cast out demons more effectively, so that our, our word will be worth something in town, that we won't be known as liars or con artists or slanderers or gossips, that we are men and women of integrous words that proclaim the word of God, and when we're not proclaiming the word of God, our word is just as good because we're, we're not liars. Filthy communication. Now, this is what we would call as Southerners cussing and swearing. Filthy communication, Colossians 3.8. But now you put off all of these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. It's kind of interesting to notice here that usually when you're angry and full of wrath and malice, that's when your mouth starts talking filthy communication. Uh, this, this word translated means foul speaking, low and obscene speech, dishonorable speech, shameful speech. This word would include vulgarity and crass speech. That's, that's the corruption. That's the filthy talk. Uh, many uh, a hippie, many uh, an antagonistic intellect has tried to argue that the words that we call dirty words are only dirty because the Queen of England declared them to be dirty words. Well, that may be the case. You know, all the four-letter words you can think of and all the things that the comedians tell and Hollywood puts uh, in our ears. Honestly, a lot of those words began as nothing. The Bible uses the biblical term ASS for a donkey. Uh, the biblical term for illegitimate one is bastard. Um, even the female dog term, which is a cuss word in our vernacular, is very much a, a veterinarian term. But what the Lord deals with over and over again is the motive of the heart. And so when somebody uses ASS or somebody uses B-I-T-C-H and not in a veterinarian term, they are guilty of filthy communication. They are saying it to be crass and crude. They are saying it to be wicked. And there's no doubt as time goes on, we'll invent new dirty words. And words that were once uh, clean and pure will evolve. Sinful people will evolve it, hijack it, and make it filthy. So what we need to do is make sure that we're not offensive in our speech. Uh, one major ministry in the United States, they produced a workout video for ladies. You know, just kind of a Bible-based workout video. And they sent it all over the world to their partners. And uh, the, a lot of the videos ended up in the UK. And in the video, the American woman, she's talking about things you can do at, uh, on your job uh, while you sit on your tushy. And these are things, these are exercises you can do. And you can twist back and forth and do leg raises while you're sitting on your tushy. Well, tushy is as, about an innocent a term in American English as you can get for your bottom. What they didn't know is that in British English, their modern vernacular tushy is about one of the most offensive words you can imagine for that part of the female anatomy. And they end up royally offending everybody, though not meaning to because they didn't understand the vernacular, the slang, the filthy communication of the mouth. You and I, when we hear tushy, we think, <laughs> granny's got a tushy. When the British hear tushy, they hear one of the most offensive words they could ever hear. 
That's just how this thing works. We have to look at the heart motive. Needless to say, that ministry had to make some serious apologies. Corrupt communication. Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt communication, that is rotten, corrupted, putrefied, proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying that may minister grace unto the hearers. Uh, Now, filthy communication and corrupt communication are two different forms of communication. Filthy communication is the dirty joking. It's, it's the cuss words. It's the crassness. It's the vulgarity. It would be sexual innuendo. That's filthy. America is consumed with sexual innuendo. And it's so much around us. If we're not careful, it'll come out of us at the most inopportune time, which is any time. So we've got to really watch our hearts. But corrupt communication is even more broad than filthy communication. According to Ephesians 4.29, corrupt communication is any words, anything that pull down and put down the hearer, anything that beats up the hearer, anything that condemns the hearer in in a wicked sense, anything that strips a hearer of edification, anything that um, causes them to be cast down when they shouldn't be. There's a time to shame somebody. Don't get Go, don't misunderstand me. Paul teaches to shame folks when they're sinful and won't repent. But corrupt communication is anything that does not administer grace unto the hearer. So that becomes even more broad. And this, is, this, this, this kind of communication is almost a person-by-person scenario. I can pick on somebody in the church, and they, they thrive under it. They love to be picked on by the pastor. But this person over here, I pick at them, and it totally hurts them and puts their head in a tailspin. And in that instance, I will be guilty of corrupt communication because I, was, I, I didn't minister grace to them. They, they mistook it. They, they didn't understand it. I will have to go back and repent. Corrupt communication can also sometimes be overstepping your boundaries and being a busybody or a nosy-rosy. We have to be careful that we're not intrusive. Some people with the best of intentions can be intrusive, and you ought to judge yourself. Mouthy people are often very intrusive. They intrude into people's lives, and that can be offensive. If you're causing offense through your outgoingness, you've got to really dial it back and learn to judge people or judge scenarios. Your heart may be well, but you lack discernment. You have to know when to speak. Romans 12, Paul said, I speak through the grace given unto me. Just because you have something to speak doesn't mean you have permission to speak it. That can be corrupt communication. And then coarse jesting. This one we'll have to be very careful because as Americans, we're we're big cut up. America has a very strong humor-based culture. This becomes apparent. You would think every culture has abundant humor, but not every culture is comical. We've been to a couple places in Africa where there was not much humor. It was almost very dry. And then other places in Africa, uh, you, you just never laughed so hard in your whole life. You have to be careful. Ephesians 5.4 in the NIV says, Nor should there be obscenity. That means filthiness. Foolish talk. That's the Greek word for moron plus logos. The Greek word moron is, moron, is English moron. means an idiot. Foolish talk. Or coarse joking, that means facetiousness, low jesting, you know, to be facetious. Are you being facetious? No. Now, there's a place I would, I would judge for playful facetiousness. But when you're facetious to be condescending, the Bible forbids that. Uh, we just call that being a jerk. <laughs> I've got a lot of friends in the ministry that are facetious, but it's a joking facetiousness. You have to be careful not to be a facetious jerk. 
or as the other translation in the Greek is low jesting. This is jesting that puts people down. Uh, The Bible says these are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. Let me read that passage again. Nor should there be obscenity and filthiness, foolish talk, which is moron, a moronic speaking, or coarse jesting, coarse joking, facetiousness and low jesting, which are out of place. They don't belong in our life. If we have them in our life, they are out of place. But rather thanksgiving. If your mouth has to run, let it be full of thanksgiving. Some people, they just can't have a conversation without putting somebody down or mocking them or ridiculing them. When's the last time we just walked up to somebody and said, you know, I just want you to know I'm thankful for you. Uh, you, you enrich my life. I smile when I see you coming. And I say, Lord, thank you for brother so-and-so. Thank you for my sister in Christ. Thank you for my boss. Even do this on the job. There's certain people you just love working with. We ought to consider going and telling them, I really enjoy working with you. You, you brighten my day, even if they're a total pagan. Pagans can brighten your day sometimes, just like a Christian can totally ruin your day. Trust me, I'm a pastor. Sometimes Christians totally ruin my day, and I have to get with God to pull that nosedive out. This passage covers several types of mouth sins, obscenities, moronic speech, sarcasm. Sarcasm doesn't benefit anybody. Are you being sarcastic? No. What do you think? Sarcasm, there's, got, there's no place for sincere sarcasm. Now, again, there's a playful sarcasm. You got to be careful, though. And facetiousness. These are out of place in the Christian's vocabulary. Don't have conversations you'll regret in heaven. Strive to have excellent speech and a holy conversation. I, I pray that uh, this has blessed you and maybe convicted you and raised your standard a bit. We like to be playful, but you got to make sure you don't cross the boundary or cross the line that hurts somebody. Amen. Father, I, I, I pronounce the blessing of the Lord over this Sunday school and this pod school. May these lessons sink down into our ears and hearts and may it help us raise the standard and the purity of our mouth. May we glorify you and honor you with the words of our mouth. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.